0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. More pressure for change atop Hockey Canada. It's a virtual must-win for the Tiger Cats. Steve Stales joins us to talk about leaving the Bulldogs for the Oilers, highlighting renovations during the election campaign. Are gas prices going to keep rising this fall? And a food scientist has some Thanksgiving turkey tips for you. The GMH Podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML.
2: It needs to be wholesale change they need to do it they need to realize that uh, if it, if we have to create an organization get rid of hockey canada and create an organization called canada hockey instead um people will look at doing that
0: well i don't know about that but this is good morning hamilton on 900 chml and that is the voice of prime minister Justin Trudeau says hockey canada has completely lost the confidence of canadians and he really is not wrong in saying that more and more advertisers more and more companies bailing on hockey canada given what has happened over the last number of weeks And months, and it has become increasingly heightened due to the uh, Heritage Standing Committee meeting on Tuesday, where the interim chair basically rejected criticism. Nothing to see here. And if we change everything, uh, I mean, are we going to even be playing minor hockey in this country? I mean, the tone deafness is at an all time high. It's about a 15 out of 10. Paul Milia is the president and CEO of the Canadian Center for Ethics in Sport and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Rick. What do you make of what's been happening at Hockey Canada? It seems to be one body check after another.
3: Yeah, I mean, mean, at this point, I think for many Canadians, as you've been saying, I mean, it's really hard to fathom why the current leadership of Hockey Canada have not stepped down for the good of our national sport. I mean, it seems as if in some maybe misguided effort to protect their brand, They may be doing it irreparable damage. I mean, the Prime Minister is suggesting, you know, that maybe we need a new organization to run hockey in this country. Uh, That may be the path we're on. But maintaining that they are the best people to fix the culture in hockey in the face of, you know, again, what you've been referring to, the political, the corporate, the public statements, that they have completely lost the trust and confidence of Canadians to do so. I mean, that only serves to underline the fact that they aren't the right people to do it.
0: A change has got to be made, and it's got to be made soon, right?
3: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, again, it's just it's just so hard to understand how it hasn't happened yet. Um, I understand the Halifax premier has perhaps spoken out recently about hosting the World Juniors. I'm not sure the, exactly the context, but I mean that is a huge revenue generator for Hockey Canada. So if that's if that's at risk, along with all their corporate sponsors, I mean, if that doesn't make them see the light, I, I, nothing will.
0: Several companies have severed ties with Hockey Canada. Everyone from uh, Tim Hortons to TELUS, Canadian Tire, Scotiabank, SO, Chevrolet, the list goes on and on. Will it take long for Hockey Canada, I mean, once they do make this change, because I I think it's inevitable, is it going to take long for them to rebuild that trust?
3: Well, yeah, I think when, you know, uh, when you lose trust, it's very, very difficult. It takes a long time to rebuild it. But I I also want to make the point, Rick, that, you know, the stories of maltreatment, maltreatment of athletes, uh, they've been coming out and they've been surfacing in the recent months and years, sport after sport, right? Right. So clearly, there's something at a system level in Canadian sport that's contributing to what you know many are calling a the toxic culture in sport. So I think you know the Canadian Centre for Ethics in Sport has been recommending for some time now. Um, I think what we need to objectively examine, understand, and change, as you're talking about with Hockey Canada, this toxic culture, we need a public inquiry, not unlike what we did you know, in the uh, aftermath of the Seoul 1988 Olympic um, doping scandal, so we created the Deppin Inquiry, and it led to recommendations that created the kind of culture change that that is, you know, seen today at Canadian sports system. Um, that is relatively clean and free of doping and sports. So I think a public inquiry to help us get at those underlying causes of the toxic culture, that could provide a roadmap forward. But we have to accept and understand that culture change and the trust both take a long time uh, to achieve.
0: Yeah the public inquiry would be a great start that is for sure our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml is paul melia the president and ceo of the canadian center for ethics in sport is is there a a country or a sports governing body that's doing it right because we're, we're hearing stories about this in the states and europe i mean whatever the case is there is an issue is someone doing it right
3: you know i mean one country we could certainly look to is norway Um, I think a number of years ago, Norway made the decision that they were going to put at the very heart of their sports system um, the health and well-being of the athlete. Um, And uh, all of their policies, all of their programs flow from that place. You know, is this in the best interest in the health and well-being of the athlete? Are they having fun? Is respect being taught? Are they learning how to play fair? Winning, of course, is a part of sport we would never want to take that out but norway put it at the center and they didn't make winning the predominant driving force of all sport activity now interestingly enough norway is winning the most medals at winter olympics so the system still produces champions right but it produces great people as well and i think norway is one country we could certainly look to to see how they approached it
0: Yeah, Certainly winning isn't everything, and that is very true in this regard. Paul, really appreciate your time and insight into this matter.
3: Okay, you're very welcome, Rick.
0: Paul Mealy is the president and CEO of the Canadian Centre for Ethics in Sport. We're all waiting for that other shoe to drop. When it comes to Hockey Canada, let's hope it comes very soon
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: big game tonight at tim Hortons field as the tiger cats host the rough riders in what is a virtual must win you can say for both sides hamilton coming off their bye week saskatchewan on a four-game losing streak so two big points are definitely up for grabs joining us now on good morning hamilton is orlando steinauer the head coach of the hamilton tiger cats coach oh how are you today i'm doing great how are you rick I'm good. I, I know you don't like talking about must wins or virtual must wins probably falls into that category as well unless it is actually a must win. and it isn't at this point. but tonight's game is as close as you can get to this do or die status. Where is your headspace at heading into this game?
4: Yeah, just just focused on tonight. We're just um, you know, everybody understands what's at stake and where everything falls, and that just hasn't been the main focus. Uh, definitely, everybody's aware. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, if you want to term it like that, this is a home playoff game of sorts. Um, But um, we've just chosen to just dive into the work.
0: The Riders have lost four straight games. Does it become extra important to get an early lead and maybe put a seed of doubt in their minds? That's a good question. I
4: think it's it's better and, and more important to have a late lead and finish the game with the lead. Um, I do understand your comment. Um, yeah, I, I think slow starts don't benefit anybody, you know. But I think uh, what's most important is that we uh, we finish and find a way to have at a minimum one more point than they do.
0: You've made a handful of roster moves in advance of this game. They include the return of cornerback uh, Ciont Evans, uh, return man Lawrence Woods, the third back from the injured list as well. Both players have been out for a while. What does it mean to have those two guys back?
4: Well, with Cianti, uh, you're talking about an experienced guy who's, who's won a lot of football games. Uh, he's, he's a comfort food of sorts out there on the football field. Uh, nothing's too big for him. He has a, a calm demeanor, and uh, he's obviously a big part of what our plans were in 2022. It just got derailed a little bit. And as far as Lawrence Woods, I think his tangible play speaks for itself. Um, he is uh, he's dynamic. And he, he's able to break the, the game open uh, at any time. And uh, the one thing is we just couldn't rush him back. So um, we'll see the impact that they have on the game, but we're excited to have them back.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Tiger Cats head coach Orlando Steinhauer. As we preview tonight's Tiger Cats Rough Riders clash at Tim Hortons Field, you won't have receivers Stephen Dunbar and Poppy White, but Lamar Durant is back in action, and Terry Godwin makes his first CFL start. What have you seen from Godwin since he arrived in Hamilton?
4: Just a guy who's uh, a pro. I think he's come in and, and you know bought his time and didn't come in, and he wasn't over assertive. He was a guy that just came and worked and and wanted to get better, jumped right into the scout team, and um, just just a real pro. And so, uh, you know, looking forward to see what he has to offer. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, uh, A.J. back. Uh, he hasn't – he's missed time. He You know, he was on the sixth game for a long time. So, yeah, we'll have a, a little bit different look out there tonight.
0: If the Ticats run the table, you win your, your four remaining games, you're in the playoffs. Despite that, I'd imagine the focus is still one game at a time. You referenced it earlier on in our conversation. At this time of the year, though, is it challenging not to look ahead because of all the what-ifs?
4: It's it's actually not, Rick. And I know that's I'm not saying that for the right thing to say, like when you when we come to work it's all about that practice day which happens to be the prep for the team that's there and so that's all the film we're watching so it's actually relatively easy to stay focused on the task at hand and of course you know everybody's gonna follow the lead of 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 you know the top of the football team and so um this is something that we've emphasized since day one of training camp for those that have been around and so this is really not a challenge at all. Um, it, it is. This is sports entertainment, and it's fun to talk about and to look at and and that sort of thing. And we don't run from those things, but we don't focus on them.
0: In saying that, what would a win tonight do for this team going forward?
4: Yeah, it it, it makes us one and uh, tonight, and gives us a chance to uh, go two and 0 or one and next week uh, against Calgary, and, and nothing more than that. You know, like you said, if you run the table, you know, we control our own destiny, and that in that aspect so it just mean that we would be one step closer
0: appreciate the time best of luck tonight's gonna to be uh, i think a barn burner an exciting one for the fans hopefully it's exciting and uh, and a win at the end of the night as well thanks for joining us awesome thanks for having me rick orlando Steinauer, head coach hamilton tiger cats hamilton is four and ten sask six and nine here's some good news if you're a tie cats fan because hamilton is two and oh Coming off the bye week this season, they beat Ottawa back in Week Six. They topped Winnipeg of all teams in Week Fifteen. They're eight and two after a bye week since 2018, so that's some pretty good news. On the downside, Riders quarterback Cody Fajardo is three and zero all time against Hamilton, and the Ticats are the only CFL team he has not lost to. And Dane Evans is zero and two against the Rough Riders in his career. Only. One of two CFL teams he's not beaten; the other one being Calgary. CHML's coverage of tonight's game begins with the pregame show at 6.30. Kickoff is at 7.30, one half hour after the final whistle. You can catch the fifth quarter postgame show right here on CHML. We'll be back on CHML's Facebook page. You can also listen online at 900CHML.com and on the Radio Player Canada app. Should be a... Well, we know it's going to be a big game. Should be an awesome game as well. And former TyCats quarterback Danny McManus will be honored tonight as he will be officially added to the TyCats Wall of Honor.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well,
0: let's not kid ourselves. You win two OHL championships in the, the span of four years. There's going to be National Hockey League teams come calling. And when is mm. the Edmonton Oilers and Steve's history with that franchise there's no question that, that you have to, to make that move. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900-CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That's the voice of Reed Duffy, the play-by-play announcer with the Hamilton Bulldogs on Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson yesterday, reflecting on the legacy that has been left by Steve Steyos. He is leaving the Hamilton Bulldogs as president and general manager and joining the Edmonton Oilers as a special advisor to the Hockey Operations Department. An exciting move for Steve and his family. And Mr. Steyos joins us on Good Morning Good morning Hamilton on 900 CHML Steve. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Hey, thanks. Good morning, Rick. How many NHL teams did end up contacting you this past off-season? Was it was it a boatload, a couple, one or two?
5: Uh well, it I, I I speak to NHL teams all the time in my role with the Hamilton Bulldogs, but and um I you get the odd hey let us know when you're ready, uh, you know, let, let us know when you're ready to move from junior to, to pro. We think we have a spot for you, things like that. And then the conversation with the Oilers is much different. Um, it was a, a little bit more, you know, uh, aggressive and really wanted me to get in there, especially this year. Um, and uh, I had a bunch of things, you know, throughout their organization where they thought I could help right away. So that was how the summer really went out. It was actually even through the year, Rick, um, and I kind of, you know, made sure that I didn't speak about it. Didn't want to get too distracted with uh, with the great run that our team was on.
0: It sounds like this was an opportunity that you just couldn't pass up.
5: Uh, that's exactly it. <laughs> because there there had been others in the past where, um, you know, I, I felt that were you know interesting for sure. But this one was a little bit different. So I went out to Edmonton uh, about a week or ten days ago, just for a few days, and um, got to spend time with Ken Holland, and uh, it was. You know, Ken Holland is, is the success that he's had. The type of person he is, um, just the environment he's created within his staff, really seemed a little, a lot like things that we did here at Hamilton. So very intrigued by the opportunity, and then really intrigued by the role as well.
0: So, what are you going to be doing?
5: Well, a whole, a whole lot of everything, really. I mean, I'll be spending a lot of time with Ken in, in with Edmonton and, and the team, um, and then also. The one gap that they have is in player development, which, interestingly enough, was my first role coming out of a uh, post-playing career with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, we real need to sort of build up that part of our program um, right away. So uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, then uh, also they'll need some help in Ontario as well uh, from an amateur scouting perspective. So um, obviously knowing the players like, like I do in this area, I think that's going to be a great benefit to them. Also, I'll be involved with the the pro meetings and the amateur meetings. So, um, really, uh, an interesting uh, role to be able to see all parts of the organization.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Steve Steyos, now the former president and GE, uh, GM with the Hamilton Bulldogs and now the new special advisor of hockey operations with the Edmonton Oilers. How big of a factor was it in, in this move that Ken Holland is the guy in Edmonton who's had a remarkable track record in the National Hockey League?
5: Well, massive, really. I mean, if you if you think about people that you want to learn from at the next level or work. From, or just be around at the next level. I think, uh, you know, And I, d- I hadn't known Ken very, you know, before these conversations sort of picked up about four or five months ago and spent quite a bit of time on the phone with him and then got to spend some time with him, you know, face-to-face and live and in person and watching him do his work. Um, you know, I think that it's just really too difficult of a, as much as I loved Edmonton, a really hard decision to, and interestingly enough, to, uh, Moving from the OHL to the NHL seems like a no-brainer to most people, but it was a really tough decision for me. But once I got in and around Ken and his staff, and just it just seemed like a the same vibe and environment that we've created in Hamilton, and you know, and then I started to look at what where they need some help in the role. But Ken Holland was uh, was a major factor in this.
0: Sounds like you're leaving the Bulldogs in pretty good hands as well.
5: Oh, without a doubt, I got no, I have uh, no question that we're going to continue to do what we do in Hamilton with uh, the leadership of Matt Turek. And, uh, um, you know, And part of this is the timing. I, you know, I think I sense that this was quite possibly going to happen. So as far as the timing, we're two games into our OHL season. Boys play tonight, and then we have our great home opener tomorrow night, great celebration and banner raising tomorrow night. But I was really my main concern before I'd made the commitment to Edmonton. And, and I told them a number of times that there was things that I needed to get done and in Hamilton and uh, a lot of that was just working together with Matt to get him fully up to speed, but full confidence in Matt Turk. I think that, you know, he's completely capable of doing the job. He'll put his own personality on the team and leadership, but, uh, no, he's, he's a great one. It's a great way as a succession out of Hamilton to, uh, to feel totally comfortable for Matt coming in.
0: Yeah, and the cupboards are stock full of uh, blue-chip prospects with the Hamilton Bulldogs uh, on and off the ice. And, Steve, you're a great part of it off and on the ice and uh, building a winning legacy here in Hamilton. I know there's going to be many Bulldogs fans who are suddenly Edmonton Oilers fans, and it's because of you. Really appreciate the time today, and congratulations on this new job.
5: All right, thanks very much,
0: Rick. Steve Staus, former president and GM of the Hamilton Bulldogs, now joining the Edmonton Oilers in their hockey operations department. Bulldogs are in action tonight. They're in Owen Sound, and their home opener at First Ontario Centre goes tomorrow against Oshawa. That should be a lot of fun as well as they'll raise the banner. By the way, NHL regular season begins today in Prague, Czech Republic, 2 p.m. Eastern time as Nashville takes on San Jose. The Leafs open their season Wednesday night in Montreal.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton, podcast from 900 chml
0: well the municipal election certainly is important for a number of reasons because there are some big issues in this community whether it's affordable housing uh, road safety the health care system the list goes on and on and on post-covid recovery uh, there are many different uh, elements to an election campaign many different issues that we have to weigh one of those has to deal with the rental crisis in this community. That kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with affordable housing or the lack thereof. Advocates for tenants in this city say the next city council needs to take some serious action to stop renovictions. You've heard about this. where A landlord will boot a tenant out of their place to renovate it and then re-rent it at a higher rental rate. Well, there was a walking tour through the lower city yesterday where members of Acorn Hamilton, a tenant advocacy group, shared their stories about being displaced from their apartments or being pressured to move by their landlords. One of those was Elizabeth Ellis, who says her Sherman Avenue apartment is currently sitting empty after she and other tenants were re-evicted. I can understand.
2: OK, you renovicted me. OK, fine. I can deal with that. But what I can't deal with is them off having nobody live here we're in a housing crisis and nobody's still living here and there's people
0: on the street this is happening again and again and again and many people are being impacted by this darlene wesley is our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml darlene is a east hamilton acorn member darlene good morning how are you today good morning rick how are you i'm good have you fallen victim to a eviction as well yes i have
2: how did it happen um, well, uh, November of 2020, uh, my landlord um, gave us an N-13. Uh, we had to wait almost over a year to go to the board. We hired um, through the city a defense fund, and um, we went to the board. Uh, we had I had an electrician come. I had a home inspector. The only thing they, they, they said needed to be done in the apartment was GFCIs. Uh, in near the water sources, like in the kitchen and the bathroom, mm-hmm. but the 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 board sided with the landlord said he could come in and do the renovations. So after eighteen years of living here, I have to leave.
0: Wow, so what are your options? well i I can give him
2: a letter for the right of first refusal, which gives me the option to come back, but we don't know what he's going to do in the meantime.
0: Well, and the you option know, and the option to come back too is come back at what rental rate, right? At the
2: same rent. I come back at the same rent. Okay. But what a lot of a lot of landlords are doing are being sneaky and re-renting it before the the, the original tenant has the opportunity to find out, and then it's too late. They can't. Go, they can go to the board to get money from the landlord, but they're out there. their their
0: um, affordable rent. Yeah, in the meantime, you have to live somewhere, right?
2: Yes, exactly, and and it's hard to find, you know, temporary housing. Never mind, it's hard to find uh, permanent housing, mm-hmm. and especially in the city right now, it's it's terrible.
0: Darlene Wesley is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Darlene is an East Hamilton Acorn member, a tenant advocacy group that is, uh, well, fighting for tenants who are being renovicted in this community. There were several candidates who are running for city council that joined the walking tour yesterday. Did you get the sense that they're treating this issue seriously?
2: Yes, especially um, uh, Nan. Nan
0: N- Narinder? Narinder Nan, okay.
2: Yeah, Narendra Man. She's a she's she's got our back. She's always been uh able to listen to us and, and have our side. You know. She's um very with her consultant, she's very
0: her um constituency office?
2: Constituent, yeah, <laughs> constituent. Oh goodness, I'm nervous. Anyways, yeah, with her constituents she's very um thorough and she's very caring. Well
0: that's good to hear. Yeah,
2: and we had a couple others that
0: attended. How how many people are affected by this? Are we talking a handful, a few dozen, hundreds? What's oh, the estimation? I, oh, no,
2: no, hundreds. And if it's not N13s, it's N12s, which that's that's where the landlord comes in and says he wants to move in. But he doesn't want to move in. He wants to raise the rent because wow. people who have been there for years have affordable rent. But he wants to put them out, and it's the same thing. Except, and, and if the thing is, the with the board, there there's no status quo across the board at the Landlord and Tenant Board. It just, it all depends on your adjudicator.
0: Well, wow, and there's this is... no standard. Yeah, this has really created a rental crisis in the city. I mean, coupled with the affordable housing issue, there's not a lot of it out there. Because as people are being, you know, tossed from their places, they're being re-rented at a much higher rate. And there's a lot of people that can't afford these rates.
2: Exactly, especially low income, you know, and people who work and are only getting minimum wage. You know, we've got people on disability, people on welfare, you know, old age seniors. You know, this was my present for turning 65.
0: Well, you know,
2: it's it's awful.
0: Not fun at all.
2: I've been here 18 years.
0: Uh, Darlene, really appreciate your time. Uh, continue fighting the good fight. We know it's an uphill battle in many regards, but I really appreciate your time today.
2: Okay, I, are, are you, I just wanted to say that, that um, I want everyone to get out and vote, and um, I, we're trying to get the city to adopt the new Westminster BC policy, which um, accommodates the tenants and puts the, the onus on the landlord to get, get a tenant into a, a living situation, affordable situation at the same rent at the same time. Like you have the tenant, the landlord has to put the tenant in an affordable unit.
0: Yeah, let's at make the th- same price. Let's make this a win-win situation. Darlene, thanks for the time today. we got to run. Thank you. Darlene Wesley is a member of the East Hamilton Acorn, a tenant advocacy group that is fighting for tenants' rights and trying to prevent, stop these evictions that have really compounded the issue. In the affordable housing slash uh, rental crisis in this community.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: After holding relatively steady for the last little while, gas prices in Hamilton and the GTA have spiked in recent days. Not only has it led to some grumpy drivers, it has also helped nudge the national average price for regular gasoline to about $1.67 a liter. Don't complain too much, though, because Ontario enjoys, the I say enjoys, the lowest average cost per liter at around $1.50, those in BC aren't so lucky as they're filling their tanks to the tune of $2.20 a liter on average, $0.70 cents more than what we have to pay. What's causing this price surge and what's in store for us in the weeks ahead? Let's ask the expert Rory Johnston. He is the founder of the Commodity Context Newsletter and Managing Director at Toronto-based investment firm Price Street. Rory, thanks for your time this morning. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. What factors have led to this recent price hike at the pumps?
6: OPEC uh, Plus met for the first time in person since the beginning of the pandemic. They agreed to a fairly sizable two million barrel a day cut in headline production. But the first thing to know is that that probably doesn't actually mean a full two million barrel a day cut. That organization had been dramatically underproducing its quotas for a while now. So the actual cut will be less than half that. But I think the important thing to kind of understand, um, and again, how the market is kind of absorbing this, is this is more bullish than we thought this meeting was going to be. We thought this meeting was generally going to be a a nothing kind of event even a week ago. Uh, But it's probably not quite as bullish, quite as price positive as we were the day before uh, the the meeting actually took place, uh, when a lot of the rumors were that we're going to get a, a much bigger effective cut or that Saudi Arabia would cut unilaterally. So, what I think we're seeing here is um, a very, very messy market, a market that's becoming increasingly politicized. We're seeing uh, the effective cut, let's say 900,000 barrels a day, give or take, from OPEC is roughly the same size as the current strategic petroleum release, uh, strategic petroleum reserve release, rather from the United States and the White House. So, you know, we have these two sides trying to pull and push from the market. And I think, you know, consumers and the rest of the market's getting caught in the middle. I think that's the challenge right now is is we have huge moving pieces. We have, you know, uh, coming up into December 5th, we have the EU's effective embargo that's going to hit Russian barrels. We don't know how much we're going to lose. We, you know, coming, uh, later this week and into next we have the you know uh, uh, the Chinese Communist Party's national party congress where people have talked that maybe this is the moment we start to see some kind of flip around in the um, in the covid zero lockdowns that have taken a huge you know chomp out of oil demand this year and really what i think that this this um this opec decision does is it puts a floor into the market over the last two almost three months crude has been heading in a reasonably kind of one direction it's been bouncy but it had it's been heading down for a while now. we've gone from above 120 down to below 80. that I think is is what this this cut is is meant to kind of address but I don't think that we're going to get a big explosive jump to the upside specifically from this cut uh I think we're going to need to see some of those other factors manifest before that happens. So I think this is really kind of a custodial caretaker cut trying to stabilize the market and whether or not you know the white house seems very upset about it you know they they discussed and, and and referenced it as a hostile act uh OPEC plus and the and the saudi oil minister is talking in very classic language around stabilizing the market and providing certainty and trying to increase non-OPEC production investment all these things so you know long story short hugely confusing market lots of news flow and generally Frankly, you know, you know, yesterday when uh, when this meeting occurred, we really only saw prices jump by about a buck 50, which is a we re- which is honestly small for a normal day these days, let alone an OPEC meeting day.
0: For those motorists out there wondering, OK, what's next? Is there another shoe to drop? What's the expectation in the weeks ahead for gas prices?
6: Yeah, so I think over the coming weeks, I think that we're probably going to stick around this level. I think there's there. But I think what what this has done is I think. You know my prior disposition would have been that you know there was still downside potential which is a good thing for consumers a bad thing for oil producers uh, but i still think that, that i still thought that there was kind of downside potential just given the momentum that we had in this market you know all of these recession fears etc but i now think that that's taken most of the downside risk out and i think most of those things i talked about you know china russia um the spr release ending all of those things are price positive. So I think consumers have benefited for two, three months now from very you know, substantial declines in gasoline prices. And I think that that likely is behind us. I think the, the degree of the upside is still debatable. I think you still have to talk about, you know, how much Russian supply are we going to lose? Are we going to have another refinery bottleneck, et cetera? But I do think that most of the things that have gone right for consumers have happened. And I think they're mostly behind us now.
0: We've had some really big, we only got about a minute here, some big price fluctuations like Sudbury, for example, the other day, they went Tuesday, went up 25 cents. Why are these uh, spikes and, and declines so steep?
6: Yeah. And, and, you know, and I don't I don't spend a lot of time looking at the specific kind of city level uh, gasoline prices. But I one thing I will say is that when markets are this volatile you see, and prices jumping around so quickly, it really depends on the moment in time that various stations are actually buying this fuel. Because if, if you bought if a one station buys fuel today and another station bought it a week ago, that's a very, very different market. we're seeing these massive price moves. So over over a longer period of time, over multiple weeks, a month or so, I do expect all of this stuff to kind of sort itself out. But in you know, in the week to week of of consumers kind of filling their cars, yeah, you're gonna see really dramatic swings. And it really depends on kind of Uh, Both when that fuel is purchased and that kind of micro market you find yourself in and and how, you know, let's say there are refinery, additional refinery bottlenecks, you know, know, tightening markets further on the West Coast, as an example. That's all driving this. And, And I think all those things that normally affect differences between cities and regions are just exacerbated right now, given how wild, volatile and fast moving the market is.
0: Amazing insight and analysis from Rory Johnston, the founder of the Commodity Context newsletter and managing director at Toronto-based investment firm Price Street. Rory, appreciate the time once again. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. Always love chatting with Rory as he breaks it down in simple terms to get us to understand how this oil and gas industry, as convoluted as it is, works on a day-to-day basis.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We're going to be gathering this weekend. I think for the first time in a couple of years, for for many families, to celebrate Thanksgiving. And we certainly want to do so, well, we want to enjoy ourselves, number one, but we want to do so safely as well. And I'm not referring to COVID, I'm talking about food illnesses. Because, you know, when we're dealing with raw meat, fresh poultry, there are, or even frozen poultry, that I mean, that could be a worry if it's unthawing uh, at a... Uh, in a place where it shouldn't be, or for a period of time in which it shouldn't be, there's going to be some problems. So we have a food scientist that's going to help you and I avoid those, well, those unwanted trips to the washroom, or worse, the ER. Dr. Keith Warner is a professor in the Department of Food Science at the Ontario Agricultural College at University of Guelph and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Warner, good morning. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Rick. How serious can a food-borne illness become?
7: Well, it can become very serious especially if uh you're in that sort of high-risk group of being very uh, you know elderly like i guess i am these days uh they're very young and immunocompromised and it's quite interesting around about uh, christmas time over in the uk and thanksgiving here in north america we seem to have these sort of spider outbreaks where people literally do die from it so Uh, certainly food safety is nothing to uh, play around with and you know just to take these sort of diligent uh, cautious steps to avoid it because uh, obviously we don't want people to have uh, foodborne illness We just want them to go out with good memories I suppose when We have the Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, let's dive into some of these uh, tips and advice for people who are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this weekend and what they should be doing. A lot of people will be going to the grocery store today or tomorrow, maybe even Sunday, and doing it last minute and buying a turkey. And some will go for the fresh turkey. Some will go with the frozen. Is one safer than the other?
7: That's a good question, actually. In actual fact, they're about the same. There are some sort of theories that say, well, when you're freezing turkeys, the actual freezing process actually does uh, inactivate some of those pathogens, but I don't think I would depend on that for food safety. Um, I think the key point is, especially with fresh birds, is that we should be buying them either today. If you bought them last week, you might be finding they're the kind of turning at the moment in the fridge. But uh, typically, with the uh, the fresh bird, you buy it today, tomorrow, or Sunday. Keep it in the fridge. Um, now, with frozen birds. Um, they're obviously more stable because they're frozen, but we have to keep the the cold chain. So if we go shopping and we put it at the back of the car, hopefully we don't forget about it. For <laughs> and it starts to end. So, um, you know, once you get the frozen circuit, you put it in and the freezing. But one of the most, well, one of the critical parts is the dash defrosting, which you refer to at the top. Um defrosting goes under different kind of realms, doesn't it? It's like some people put it on the counter, like I guess our sort of parents did and things like that. That's not good because the top gets really warm and the middle gets frozen. and There's a uh, pathogen called Staphylococcus aureus that can produce a toxin that can't be killed by heat or destroyed by heat. So on the top, definitely not. Then there's another sort of group that would put it in the fridge you we think that's well, fine isn't it the temperature's quite low but the problem is it takes so long to fall it would take at least two days maybe and the problem you think uh, it's defrosted because the top's defrosted but the center is frozen so when that goes in the oven you know the top gets nicely cooked the middle keeps raw and then you get your salmonella compiler back to so, the best way to uh, for a bird is to put it in a sink of cold water. Some people sort salt in the water as well, and the reason for that is because water's such a good conductor of heat as we know when we get wet and we get cold or get hot um and so it takes much less time to do for one thing, but you've just got to remember to keep changing the water up every now and again, you know maybe one every two hours, and it should be done within um a few hours um of being soaked in there. But try to keep it in the wrapping because obviously you don't want uh, juices going all over your sink and things <laughs> like that.
0: And, and is that water room temperature? Is it scalding hot? Is it ice cold? What, what's the water in the sink oh, supposed to be?
7: Oh, it's supposed to be cold uh, cold water, you know, because, uh, again, we want to keep that temperature below 10 degrees C because anything above 10 degrees C gets a bit too warm and the stuff you start growing. So uh, definitely cold water. That's why we change it out every two or three hours
0: talking about food safety as Thanksgiving weekend approaches with Dr. Keith Warner he's a food scientist at the University of Guelph so we've we've de-thawed the turkey or we have a fresh turkey what what are the uh what are the rules in terms of prepping the turkey for cooking because it's out on the counter we're stuffing it with things we maybe we're slathering whatever we're putting on top of it what are some of the things that we should and shouldn't be doing
7: well yeah this is the next, it actually feels like you're going for a gauntlet, doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> But when you're, you're um, preparing the bird, the important thing is to avoid cross-contamination. Um, so what you tend to do is do it near the sink, because you don't want to start carrying wrappers, dripping wrappers around, or your hands don't want to touch too many surfaces. So you take the work near the sink, you unwrap it, you use a different cutting board for cooked and raw. Once you've done all your fancy stuff, everyone's got their own recipe, uh, put it in the baking tray. but so they put it in the oven, but then you've got to sanitise the yeah, air with a very weak bleach solution. So one cap in five litres of water is more than enough. Um, and then once, because if you like, everything you touch, once you touch the bed, and you touch other things from the fridge door to anything else, you know, you're basically spreading the contamination, so hand washing, uh, putting utensils in the sink to make sure they're washed. So once you've got that sort of part sorted out and you're not going to cross-contaminate, you put it in the oven and this is the next critical part is to make sure it's cooked so people have their own way of cooking things but typically in the oven it's about 350 15 minutes a pound and the big thing is to use a meat thermometer to ensure that the thigh the thickest part of the thigh has got up to 73 degrees c at least now 14% of Canadians have meat thermometers. Only half of them use it. So if you are going to buy a turkey, if you just buy a thermometer really cheap, uh, that could save your life. So uh, I always recommend uh, the meat thermometer.
0: I did not know this, but there are food safety issues when it comes to carving the turkey.
7: Yeah, so this is the next challenge. So basically, we have a two-hour rule. So at room temperature, um, if we leave it for – once we've cooked it – There's a pathogen called Clostridium perfringens that uh, can survive cooking because we need spore. But as it cools down, uh, these spores can germinate and start producing toxin. So this is why we have this two-hour rule saying uh, no more than two hours at room temperature. Now, with turkey, you have to leave it 30 minutes to rest, like all white meat. Uh, But uh, then you can either carve it and put it either warm, above 63 degrees c or cold i in the fridge oh if you're going to have dinner straight away that's fine that two hour within that two hours um so once you've done that and i suppose the other thing i forgot to mention is about stuffing there's you know, some people love to stuff a turkey but that gives you an insulating layer so it doesn't cook very well so uh, i always suggest don't to actually uh put your stuffing in and don't wash the turkey either, that's the other thing. Anyway, to the point of the dinner. <laughs> so once you got to the dinner, you've uh, you carved your turkey up and you've had your Thanksgiving you had your potatoes and sweet potato, whatnot. Uh, it's important to put the leftovers in the fridge. Uh, not a, don't, don't rush, don't, don't wait for the uh, last piece of turkey to be eaten and suddenly rush it away. But put it in the fridge, uh, don't leave it out whilst you're doing your, your activities and with the leftovers if you leave it for no more than five days you can certainly freeze them down that's fine uh but uh, yeah after five days you'll probably fed up a turkey and the turkey's not looking as good as it used to so you know if i had to say at the end of the day um what's the four tips it's always this sort of clean i sanitize areas sanitize hands uh, separate raw from cooked and sanitize the areas, and always cook it right and always chill it right. So if you follow those four, then I think it should go off okay.
0: Great tips by University of Guelph food scientist Dr. Keith Warner. Thank you very much for your time. Happy Thanksgiving.
7: Oh, yeah, you too, Rick.
0: Thank you very much. Dr. Warner is a professor in the Department of Food Science, Ontario Agricultural College at the University of Guelph. And that one tip on leftovers, only leaving them in the fridge for five days. I think after five days, you're probably sick of eating turkey. that you're like, all right, I'm just throwing these out anyway.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning
0: Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.